Hello, and welcome to the Offensive Security Podcast. I'm Heather Monthe, and you remember, may remember me from my first appearance on the podcast last month. And I'm back this month as a co-host with cybersecurity professor Ken Pyle. Ken is a partner of cyber. He specializes in information security, exploit development, penetration testing, and enterprise risk management. He is also a graduate professor of cybersecurity at Chestnut Hill College. He is an author who has published several white papers and academic works on topics including OSINT, um, advanced social engineering, software exploit development, and more. He's also a very highly rated uh, and very popular lecturer on information security. He's presented at industry events such as DEF CON, and he's a frequently cited subject matter expert appearing in publications from Veracode, Accounting Today, and others. So uh, I would like to welcome Ken to the podcast. And Ken, tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you got into cybersecurity. Uh, so uh, I always tell people there's, uh, there's two stories I give to people, and I'll give them both out here. The official stories I started about 20 years ago when I got into the IT industry and I thought it was really interesting and followed it down the rabbit hole. Um, really, the, the unofficial story is about six years old. I got a modem and a computer in my house and it was all over. And I just started dialing up. And this is how old I am compared to like the rest of the field. BBSs finding places to download text files, all kinds of stuff trading online. And that's that's really my background. I kind of always knew it was going to end up here somehow. It was just a matter of like, what road would I take to get there? And it's kind of cool looking back. But, uh, I, you know, I'm a, a partner of, of my firm, Cyber. We do, in, you know, incident response, uh, digital forensic investigations, cyber stuff. Uh, I'm also a graduate professor at Chestnut Hill College, uh, which is really you know, what we're here talking about today. Um, I love it. I get to teach graduate and undergraduate classes. Uh, and the cool part is it's the school that produced the mothers of computer programming. Cool fact. The programmers, cool. The programmers of the ENIAC were actually Chestnut Hill College graduates. Wow. So I did not know that. Imagine the nerd cred you get when you get to go, I'm a professional cryptanalyst who's published, published exploit papers. And I happen to be the only person teaching cryptography at the school that produced the ENIAC programmers. It's like wins every argument ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's my background. And I'm like, I'm really passionate about the field. I've been doing it a really, really long time. Um, before when you had to tell people what it was, like I had to tell people, you know, I do pen testing. Well, what's that? Uh, people pay me to break in and then tell them how I did it. And they go like, that's a job. And you know, I think people forward, still do that. <laughs> They're still yeah. very confused by that. You fast forward 15 years and it's like people are beating down your door for like, oh, I need somebody to look at my web app or whatever else. Or we come up with all these new ideas or terms for it. And you're like, it's the same thing we've always done. Take something apart, figure out how it works, put it back together a different way and see what you get out of it. So it, it's like a fun field. And like I said, I, I've been like born into it and I've lived around it. I've lived through a lot of generations of it. So uh, for me, it's like a really cool thing. And it's like, I like sharing that with people. Like for me, it's always been like that sense of discovery. Like it's, it's a great field. Sorry. Yeah. So then that kind of leads into my next question then. So then how did you get into teaching and specifically in higher education? How did you, like, what, what kind of drew you to that? So, uh, I mean, a lot of stuff, like it's, like I said, some, I always want to share people, like I'm one of those people, I, I take stuff apart. I want to talk to people about like, give me your perspective. Tell me what you think about it and find new things out of it. But, uh, I've been teaching a lot of law enforcement, a lot of government agency, a lot of forensics, uh, security professionals, uh, doing a lot of lectures and trainings and stuff. And uh, one of my other professors, Professor Pam King, who's like, she is an absolute rock star. Uh, she used to work for the FBI. She came and saw me at one of my lectures. And uh, we got to know each other through organizations like HTCIA. 
And she was like, how would you like to teach the hacking class at my at school? And I was like, oh, you know, that's something I, it's, I always went to do some teaching. I thought college thing would be cool, whatever. You get to put it on your resume. And I adjuncted for a little bit. And then I really enjoyed it. And we got the program spun up. And then I ended up just saying, like, I really enjoy this. This is something it, 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 I have a passion for it. And, it, you know, all those things at my regular job that I don't get to check off the box or as I tell people, like the muscles, you don't get to exercise because you're focused on projects or whatever. And it was like a good way to get out there, stretch your mind out, find some new stuff and, and teach yourself how to interact with people a little bit better. Right. Like The next generation, it's one of those things we have like gap wise is communication between everybody. And for me, it's just as much as a learning experience of how do you talk to somebody half your age about something that just came out five minutes ago? <laughs> Right, so, right. you know, it, it, it's a cool thing. Like I said, I, I just dig it. I like being a professor. I like teaching and I like finding new stuff. I think, I think it's neat how you, you, you commented about how like you, you're the kind of person that you like to take things apart and try to figure out how to put it back together. That kind of thing. I, you know, I, I was very much that kid. I took apart, um, you know, I, I was a, I'm a child of the eighties. So it was, you know, like the digital clocks, alarm clocks. I took apart my stepdad's speakers and his stereo. And it got to the point that, so back in the day when TVs had um, vacuum tubes in them, and if you would, you yeah. could, you could kill yourself, right. Um, with the static electricity. And it got to the point where my mom sat me down. I was all of seven or eight years old. And my mom sat me down and she said, I noticed that you have picked up this little habit or this little hobby now of taking things apart and trying to put in them, put them back together. She's like, but please do not do this with the TV. And here's why. <laughs> so, but I think it's cool how, you know, you know, just, just instilling that love of learning um, in, in other people that probably had that sort of that same nature of just wanting to understand how things work um, and how you can make things do things a little bit differently. So, okay. So let's set that aside just a little bit. So tell us just something that's interesting about yourself. That's just not tech related or cybersecurity related. What's, what's something interesting about you? <laughs> I, I really, it's one of the things I was thinking about, like, I don't really know anything I could think of. I'll tell you a funny tidbit I tied into hacking. So I'm like one of the biggest fans of the English rock group, New Order, like huge fan. I, but I also find naming your exploits to be a silly thing. So I've been quietly naming all of my work after their songs because my <laughs> hacking goal is I'm going to get hacking to figure out a way I can meet them or at least talk to them and thank them for being awesome music hackers, but also being with me every night, I got to sit there and work hard, whatever. And it's like a weird thing. And so how do you tie it together? Uh, you know, I told my friends this, I told professionals, like, that's the dumbest thing. Like, how, who would ever think of that? And I was like, well, nobody, that's what I specialize in. Nobody's tried that before. So uh, I, I, I tried that approach, but then I started cashing bounties. So now as I get more bounties, I paid my way into the front row of their tour in the fall. <laughs> so I kind of made my dream come true. But uh, it's one of those funny things where it's like everybody's got their white whale. Mine is so silly and, and, it's a, and crazy to some people. But I'm like, all I do is take down computers and break into stuff for a living. You got to find a weird goal and aim for it. So I got to keep you going, right? Like that's the trick. Like you got to embrace the suck or find something that motivates you, that gets you out of bed and turn it into like hacking or make, and that's really what hacking is, right? Like, it's not just, can you break into a computer or all these other things? It's like, can I find something weird, turn it into something else and get an unexpected result out of it? It's like, that's the challenge. I like turn my life into that. It's fun. Right. And so with, with, you know, how, 
how difficult it, it can be to sometimes teach this way of thinking to people. What, what, do you, what do you think is the most difficult thing about teaching cybersecurity to students, specifically hacking or pen testing? Like what you, know, it's, it's not just this linear checklist, do this, do that kind of a thing. What's, what's, yeah, what's, I mean, what's the difficulty there? We talk about lateral thinking and it's problem solving. And it's like, uh, you know, things that are, things I look for when I like, when I'm hiring people or I'm teaching students, I'm looking for people who don't take no for an answer. Like, you know, a lot of people get very angry about that in the industry, but you're like, the whole job is no, 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 no. You can't get in and you got to be the person who's arrogant enough, stupid enough, thinks outside of the box enough to go. Everybody else in the world has thought about this and they say it's fine, but screw it. Like, you got to be like a little bit hard headed, a little bit arrogant, a little bit off the wall to go like, I'm going to give it a shot. Like, I'm going to try it. So teaching that to people and being like, you're going to get the door slammed in your face your entire career. That's the job. Having to like, don't take no for an answer, but also understand there is a minimum level of, of, of skill and lateral thinking and problem solving that it requires. It's not always the straightest way to get there. It's not always, no, no, the answer isn't written in a book. I can tell you how many, same thing. You probably had the same thing all of the stuff we come up with off the wall, whether it works or not, whether it, it doesn't, you know, half works, whatever. Nobody wrote a manual for that, right? Like nobody wrote a manual for how to do SQL injection. Somebody just figured that out and went, oh, wow, here's what we can turn it into. And again, it goes back to that real core mentality of like, I'm going to take something apart, get all the parts out here and do something odd with it. Like hacking is what? Making an unexpected result to your advantage or making the system work the way it was designed, but not exactly as intended. That's where we're at. And that's right. what I think like, that's a hard thing to teach to people because technology, our interactions with it, the way the world works is we want to make things easier for people. And we're the nut jobs that go, I don't want anything to be easy. I want it to be <laughs> really hard. Give me the hardest way to do this thing and I'm going to go for it. Again, right, okay. kind of head wire, bad, head of bad wiring, as I say, to figure that out and want to do it. So then on the flip side of that, what, what, what do you think is the most rewarding thing about teaching students about cybersecurity? The moment they get it. Like the, the moment, aha moment. Does, the aha moment, like I, it's what it's like, some people you know, think like, oh, it's the biggest thing. Like, I'm like, this is Tuesday. Like, oh, this big exploit, like it happens every day. And you kind of get numb to it. Like in Apocalypse Now, when Kilgore is walking down the beach, the bomb goes off and like everybody ducks and he's just standing there like nothing happened. Like that sort of moment where like you're just jaded to it. And I think we lose sense of that. And I think it makes it makes a lot of people in our industry sort of callous and rude about things. Uh, and I think working with the younger people and especially teach like teaching that skill, teaching the next person gives you a lot of a, a lot of revival of that and like that sense of wonder again and again. It's cool when somebody gets it and you're like, they found something even you couldn't figure out or find or come to that solution. And you're like, man, that's like, that's the good you do in the world. Like, that's how you're paying it on. Like, I think our field has been very awesome to uh, me, been awesome to you, been awesome to a lot of people. Like, you got to give back, like, make it a little bit easier, but also pass it on. Like, this is something, there's a lot of knowledge, there's a lot of skill, there's a lot of things that are important that are just getting lost in translation as People keep moving on, aging out, getting older, stuff like that. And it, it, it's caused a lot of technical problems. It's caused a lot of operational problems and a lot of people problems. Right, right. Um, so one, one thing that I always struggle with when trying to teach security, and you go, you go into a college, a university, any kind of school or anywhere, right? And you're trying to teach 
you're trying to teach security, but you, you can't teach students how to pen test the production network at the school, right? So, you know, technology is constantly changing. There's, there, there's always new things coming out. There's new ways of doing things. Um, but again, you, you, you need to have a, a, an environment that's safe for students to practice some of this kind of stuff. So how do you see, as technology is changing and evolving over the years, like how do you, how do you see that affecting how, how higher education is approaching teaching information security? That's a really, really good question. Um, I, because I think on the academics, we're, we're going through flux, especially with the way culture is changing, the way education is delivered, along with the fact that most academic institutions don't have this amazing budget or amazing things in place to go out and start putting like a lab in place, putting the technology in place, whatever. Like you said, it's hard enough to teach information security as it is, particularly when you're in an environment where illegal things happen, college networks <laughs> and other things. And then you, you're, you have the ethics and all those other things. So for me, thinking as a security professional, for me, one of the best ideas is, can I find an online lab cloud-based environment that everybody can access 24 seven because it's hybrid? Can it stay out and focus them on something? But not only that, I'm not teaching people how to hack up the college land. Like that's something we want to avoid. And there's a lot of complications in that. So I think that's going to be one of the big changes over. And it's already really happening is like online course delivery or hybrid course delivery or more focus on curriculum based stuff that is like live skills. It's weird. The problem we have, because how do you teach security? Because you have to understand how a computer works and all that base knowledge to it. What do we say? The most, the most, you know, feared hackers in the world are people that live off the land. What is living off the land? I know how to use a computer and I can hack without Nmap. And you're like, well, if that's what makes a good hacker, we got to make sure we teach those skills up front or at least why they are so important. And oh, by the way, we got to do it in a safe environment outside of the environment, outside of this, people are ethical. It like ends up being a really complex thing. I think, again, going to like online course delivery, online uh, skills development. And that is really like leading the charge and having that available is I will say from my experience so far, uh, the last couple of years of doing this uh, has been like a huge boon because again, I don't know where my students are. I don't know where anybody else. And it gets more importantly, if you're learning asynchronously or learning on your own, it's really good to have something you could pick up whenever you want. Because how many people have that much time in the day? Or, you know, if you're learning it, one of the things I learned when I was a kid, I should have been doing a little more studying in school and a little less hacking. <laughs> but, you know, it was one of those things where if you have that passion for it and you get into it, you're like, I want to get this over with. That's the hook. Like that first time you get a foothold in a system. I can tell you exactly where I was the first time I got a foothold in a system and escalated. I can give you every detail about it. Right. Like you want to be able to relive that. You want to be able to do it safely and you want to be able to. Um, I, I, there's a lot that goes into it, but basically saying, um, giving people the ability to do that on demand, like finish it, go, because experiential learning, learning by doing that kind of stuff. That's, that's how hacking, I think, is the best way to be taught. Like, yeah, you can't I, take I, it in a book. I think that, 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 that's a big, I guess, point for me is that this is experiential learning, that the students need hands-on, they need that practical learning, right? So take that out of the equation. Let's take out the experiential learning, the hands-on, right? What are some other things that colleges and universities do you think that they should be doing to help prepare students for a career in insecurity? So we've, we've, we talked a little bit about experiential learning, hands-on, you know, you practice those hands-on hacking skills. 
But what, what other kinds of things should colleges and universities be doing to help prepare students? Teaching, teaching I, uh, is a weird answer, but I will tell you it's the answer I give people. Um, one of the best skills, one of the best hacking classes I had in college were things that weren't hacking, philosophy, art, history, anything that really triggered you to learn how to analyze things that were foreign to you or learning how something works without the technology part. Like I teach cryptography, not because I have to, because I love it. It's hacking at its core. Without technology, you're getting no information, figure out how this works, like reverse engineering. Teaching that and getting people to understand that or building the curriculum and things around that sort of mentality and stimulating the other parts of the brain. One of the reasons we have such big security problems is because we're engineers looking at engineering problems the way an engineer would. Teaching the way of like hacking stuff is like, I'm looking at it like a completely different perspective or how do I look at it the way somebody else would analyze this independently? And that's what those classes really teach. Like I said, give me, it doesn't even really matter what it is, teach a foreign subject to somebody and make them work it out. Because it's not about the answer. It's never about the answer. Like hacking is not about the, the amount of the summer. It's about that journey to it. And hackers, everybody I know, it's really good. They're like, all right, great. That's it. Next one. Let's start climbing the next mountain. Let's go find the next thing to take down. And that's really what you want or you're aiming at. And how do you identify that? How do you foster that? Or how do you get people into that mentality? And it's challenging them to think differently and challenging them to understand a subject or have a very different perspective and be able to pick something up and go, it's not just a classroom. I'm picking it up and messing with it. I like your point about how you said it's, you know, it's engineers looking at engineering problems, right? And um, I, you know, I've heard from many hiring managers over the years that, you know, when they, when they get students or people that have a background in, you know, a, a liberal art or, you know, a language or they're, you know, they've got a, a strong writing background. It's, it's not, it's, it's not what you would stereotypically think of somebody going into security, right? They don't have an engineering, they're not, they're not trained engineers. They're not trained computer scientists, but these are people that they just, they have a different way of looking at things because they're trained a little bit differently. Um, and so, you know, I, I like your point about that is like, you can't, it, we can't just be all engineers looking at engineering problems, right? We've got to have other people with other ways of thinking and other thought processes looking at some of these problems too. Um, so I, I really like that. I really like that, that point. Yeah, um, I, I, I use it as an argument for, sorry, I, I didn't mean to jump in. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, see, I use it as an, an analogy with my students. I, I call it the bicycle argument. You find a guy who engineered a bicycle or a girl who engineered a bicycle and say, take it apart. They're going to take the entire bicycle part, put it in orderly pieces exactly the way it is and go, what can you make me out of that? And you're going to get a bicycle put right back together again. You take someone like me who has never engineered a bicycle before, is totally uninterested in bicycles and goes, what can you make out of that? Like, I can make a satellite dish. I can make a motor to turn, like all these things you come out of it and they go, well, that's not really what you're supposed to do that. Like, that's the point. That's like... You right. got to be that person who looks at it and goes, that's not what I see. Um, and, and again, that's, that's the difference. And when you talk about red teaming and blue teaming, that's really that skills gap because you have blue teamers like, I want to learn how people break into it. I'm an expert on my own infrastructure. But then you're like, well, listen to somebody who doesn't understand a bit about your infrastructure. Tell you all about it. We don't see things the same way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, anybody that sort of follows along in this industry, you know, is probably aware that there is a huge need for people to, to enter the profession. So there's something like 600,000 open positions in the U.S., so close to 3 million jobs open worldwide. 
So what kinds of things, you know, even outside of the U.S. and in universities all over the world, what kinds of things can can people be doing? It, it doesn't even necessarily have to be universities, but what kinds of things can people be doing to try to encourage more people to go into this field um, and to help meet some of that demand? That's a good, that's a really good question. I, I, I think pulling in again from everywhere, and, and I hate using the, the buzzword term for it, but a holistic approach. You know, like I said, we're trying to fix a problem and there's a seat at the table for everybody. Again, having that different perspective or somebody else with a different opinion and inviting them in and going, I want to see this. I want your part of this is something everybody should be doing because again, this is, this is a, about a lot more than defacing websites and laughing about it on Zoho H like, or whatever, like we're into, and we're moving into cyber warfare. Really that's, you're watching the transition. It's what's happening in the world and, and like getting in universities to understand that, getting people to um, identify the skills, getting people to push people who are technically inclined, STEM learning, all of those other things and saying, well, you know, you may have been overlooked by the system. You may have been standing on the outside. You may have not got the education you needed to. We're going to fix that. And we can fix two problems at the same time on top of that. And again, I think that's a really important thing to do. Again, we need all hands on deck. And the more eyes we have on everything prevents the, the next disaster. And again, if you, and the great thing about the field is two things. One, if it's, it's a hard fact world. It doesn't matter where you came from, who you are, what you did, whatever else. If you can get root, that's all that matters. You win. Proof of concept or you're done. The other part about that is it's the most equal and fair thing out there. It really is. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, whatever else. As long as you want to work and you persist at it, you will win and you will succeed. Finding that and identifying that trait in people and encouraging, I think, is a really big deal. I know it's a long-winded roundabout answer. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a great answer. <laughs> um, so let's, let's shift gears just a little bit. So um, you've been teaching cybersecurity for a little while. So what kinds of, what pieces of advice might you give somebody who either maybe they are a professor who, you know, they, they, they're looking at this, this problem, this cybersecurity problem in the world right now and, and thinking we need to offer a cybersecurity program at our school. Um, maybe it's a professor, a dean, a provost, a president thinking we need to, we need to get on this. Um, what, what piece of advice might you give them of, you know, either they're just, they're just starting out or they're just starting to think about offering up a cybersecurity program. Begin with the end in mind to, to use your CISSP motto. But um, <laughs> I, I'd say, you know, it's such a wide and diverse field. Figure out what kind of graduates you want to produce and what the aim of your program is. Because it's not just cybersecurity anymore. We have red team, we have blue teaming, we have threat model. You can pick out all these new things and saying, you can't possibly teach somebody everything they need to know in the field. Teach them the fundamentals and then decide these are the kind of concentrations for graduates or fields we're teaching our people towards, are teaching our students towards, because it's starting to get that. It's not just, you know, it's not just science now, it's chemistry, astronomy, all these other things. It's the same thing happening in our field. And as the field grows, and again, it touches everything else. Get a goal in mind, get some really good fundamentals up front and understand it's going to take a little bit of time for everybody to spin up. And 
if there's like one of the things I've seen with other institutions and people that I talk to is there's like intimidation about it. They're like, I've been teaching in a school for so long, or I don't have a ton of practical experience. I'm hyper-focused on like the PKI problem. You're like, okay, but so is everybody else. You know, we're, you're going to end up staying one page ahead of everybody anyway. Start teaching yourself and get that. And, and again, your experience is probably going to be the same as someone else's. And again, there's a seat for everybody and whatever experience you're bringing to the table is going to be relevant, but update the skills, get up, you know, challenge yourself. That's really a hard thing to do in academia. Yeah. I think that, you know, it, I think that everybody, everybody is seeing that the issue that the cybersecurity issue right now, and that, that we need to get more people in this field. And, you know, so universities, like they're, they're taking a look at this and saying, well, how can we do this? How can we get into this? And, and, you know, some people that don't necessarily understand security. So maybe you're, if you're a college president or a provost, somebody, somebody like that, you may not understand this world just yet. And it may be kind of scared by it. So I like the idea of just, you know, just helping, helping everybody to understand it. Um, and, and, and thinking with that end in mind, well, what is it that you want them to do? You, you want them to get a job. You want them to help secure, secure organizations and keep people safe. Right. Yeah. So it I like, goes, I like it goes, that. It goes back to that, or the argument about like, that's too, you're the worst day you've seen is my Tuesday. It's like, nobody ever stops being scared or intimidated. It's like fuel. It's like, I've never seen this before. I'm on a clock. I got to figure this out. Like, you got to be practical. You got to, that's what we're after. But not only that, like everybody feels that way. I, I've got hundreds, possibly thousands of exploit CVs at this time, right? Like, I still get intimidated. I still feel very Dunning-Kruger about things. And if you figure out a way to hack that and take it to your advantage, like, oh man, I got to perform. Or what do you do when you're scared? Well, first of all, you deal with being scared. You're over with. Now let's get to work. It's just a lot of energy. Everybody feels that way. And, you know, it, it goes a lot to the academia problem. It has a lot to social media. All this stuff. The problem we have, and I think social media for security makes this a big problem. We are comparing our blooper reel and our what we know are the worst things about us to other people's highlight reel or marketing pitch on LinkedIn or social media or Twitter. Yes. And it's creating a very big dissatisfaction gap. And I think that's really harming the industry. It's one of the, like, whenever I'm teaching, it's like, I don't want to be a social media star. I want to produce really awesome security people and find new things. Like, I'm not obsessed with that. Like, and there's a, you got to understand that. And like I said, I, I don't want to get off the weeds on it, but it, it, I know it's kind of a dead end answer, but come back I think, I think, that, <laughs> you know, I like what you, what you said about just, you know, understanding that every, sometimes everybody's scared at some point, right? Like yeah, imposter yeah. is very real. Um, and, and, and you have, it's not, it's not just recent graduates that get imposter syndrome. It's people that this is, this is a field that's constantly changing every single day. You don't know everything. Right. So, you know, you're going to have days where you're just like, oh crap, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do right now. That's, that's something to teach people. That's something you want to teach in college of like, don't hold somebody's hand. Like really what is living off the land? I drop you in the woods. You got nothing. You got to figure it out. So the one thing you don't want to do is panic. The second thing you don't want to do is run away. It's not going to help. But if you can teach that, if you can get people used to that, and you're like, like I said, I, I still get scared every time I take something on. But then you're like, I'm fine with it. I know how to handle it. I'm trained for this. Hold my beer. I'll break in. It'll figure out. I'll figure it out <laughs> now. All right. So switching gears again, let's talk a little bit about employers. I'm sure you've done some hiring in your time. 
Yes. Um, so <laughs> what is it that people can do? And if you're, if you're an employer, what can you do to try to attract talent? You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of open positions right now. There's a lot of positions that aren't even posted. Um, you know, what can, what can, what can people do ab- you know, above and beyond, you know, offering a salary and some time off? What can, what can people do to attract cybersecurity professionals? Ah, uh, a couple of good things. We're, I'll say this, the money thing and the explosion of incentives, everybody loves that. Trust me, everybody like, likes making money. It's a good way to do it, but you got to think long-term or all you're really doing is raising mercs. You're raising people that are going to be money-driven all the time. There's a lot of other elements to it. I'd say fostering a really good rep, a really good environment of rewarding people for finding things, not discouraging things. Like I worked at a place a long time ago where I found security problems and they were like, shut up. Don't tell anybody, you know, keep it quiet, whatever else. And that's one, a recipe for disaster. And two, like you're putting more than just yourself at risk. Like there's a lot more to that. Um, what was the question? I kind of lost it. I was getting off the weeds again. What, what, can, what can you do as an employer? If you're, if you're a hiring manager, oh, yeah. what can you do Sorry. to attract people? Encourage people to excel, give them training certifications and recognition for the things they're doing. And the cool part again about security is this, everybody has something new. Everybody brings something to the table. So find out what somebody's really interested in that hook and let them run with it. If somebody works with it and does it every day and have a passion for it, that's what we're after. But not only that, that's where you get somebody who's really dedicated to the craft and that's what you want. We don't want a bunch of people who went through a trade school, got some certifications and now, hey, I'm doing this. It's like that CSI boom we had. Before that, it was the, you can go to IT school and get a certification in six months. Like, okay, but that's not really fixing the problem of manpower. Everybody has that problem. Everybody, Everybody, regardless of what company you work at, has the good help is hard to find problem. Get them young, train them up, make them want to stay, give them interesting things to work on. And again, pay some money out. Like this, just the, the here's the, the, I'm down to hard numbers. Think of it this way. You can pay some ransomware gang a ton of money, or you can pay your own people, which will stop that from happening. But not only that, make them want to stay and prevent that from happening in the future. And that's, that's an argument I have with business owners. Well, why don't you, if you, you, you're paying this amount of money to somebody you'll never see, at least get something out of it, invest it here. It's, it's right. You're either, you're either paying the ransomware you, or you're paying a fine or you're paying salaries. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather pay somebody who works for me. that does a good job and whatever, all those other check marks and keep them here and give them an extra couple of zeros on their paycheck. than sending it through Bitcoin to parts unknown. <laughs> <laughs> So let's let's take a look at now from a little bit of a different perspective. So we've got we've got three different areas. We've got industry um, or employers, um, private organizations. We've got um, government, and then we've got academia. So how how do you what, what are your thoughts about how the the three industry, academia, and government can be working together to try to solve some of this some of the some of the problems in security, whether it's whether it's finding the talent or, you know, dealing with some of the, the, the major issues happening right now, you know, some of the, you know, ransomware, things like that, that are happening right now. How can, what might be some of your suggestions of how the, those three groups could work together? Learn how the other half lives and listen and like really listen and not just go, I really hear you want, like from academia, the problem we have, and it's one of the reasons I jumped over into academia was because I didn't like what was getting taught or the product that was coming out of you. I don't mean to be like, you know, but, but I didn't like, we, like 
the people, things that people were learning or things they were focusing on, I didn't think were very relevant or translated really well. So practical experience. If you have practical experience, teach it, right? Like teach it, get into academia, do that. From a governmental perspective, I think the changes that we're seeing both legislatively and, and, and federally and, and, and whatnot are going to make a big change, but it can't just be another, we're going to push another order out that doesn't have to be listened to or whatever. There needs to be some real teeth to things. Like the Kaseya thing. Here's here's funny thing. I I did a very similar thing to Kaseya two years ago. Like I was a published exploit, whatever else. And then two years later, this all happens. It's like, oh, we're gonna fix this. Like we gotta really commit to fixing things. We really gotta do these things. And it's gotta be some teeth because what happens? We tell people something's gonna happen, and sometimes stupid's gotta hurt a little bit, right? Like we gotta do. We gotta get that out. And, you know, from an industry perspective, again, I think it goes back to um, listening to the guidelines. When those, and those things come down with teeth, invest in the future, invest in future talent. It's what keeps people here, but also inform government decisions a little bit more. Give some, be more open about what things are going on. And that comes down to the lawyer argument. Like nobody wants to admit their breach. We have to like put all these laws in place to get people to do that. Get over that. Like it's going to happen to everybody. The next, and it's not like a fatalist, like you're going to get pop thing. Like, no, it's not about, you know, getting knocked down. It's about getting back up off the canvas. If you're not planning to get off the canvas, if we're not thinking ahead and considering that we're going to, we're going to fail when the moment happens. So everybody kind of accepting that bad things are going to happen and we need to talk more about it and be more open and not try to silence things or keep them quiet. That's a real big thing. And again, that goes, feeds into the other two, like educating people, getting people into academia, send your people to get trained in academia or on the job training or getting an advanced degree. There's, it, we all feed into each other a little bit and we have to be really aware of the room. Like I keep going back to like, it's, it's not a game anymore. Like we have serious real world consequences for the things that plug into a wall now, right? Like, so, so I, I like what you're, what you're saying about like getting people into teaching and getting them into academia. Yeah. And so when I was, when I was working as a Dean, I uh, would always, I always, I always tell people that uh, it's, it's great for you to become an adjunct instructor where you teach either teach a class in the evenings on the weekends or online, something like that. But it's a really good job interview. Like you have a class of 30 students, <laughs> <laughs> you have them for a semester. And you know, that this is a great way for you to find some really good talent to bring into your organization. So that's how I, how I always try to pitch it. Um, but you're right. I think like, you know, what you had said earlier that there's just, there's so much knowledge and so much information out there and, and people should start sharing this information. And a lot of people are, they're doing a lot of really good stuff, doing things like this, like coming on podcasts and, and teaching classes and, and things like that. Um, but you know, it, it, we, we've got to keep contributing and keep, keep, keep things, keep things moving as far as learning, um, learning some of the newer technologies that are out there. And then some of the vulnerabilities that are coming out with some of these new technologies. One of my high horses right now is all these emerging technologies. You've got all this great stuff that's coming out, but there's, you know, we got to talk about some of the security related things. You know, we've got AI, machine learning, but you know, blockchain, all that kind of stuff. Like we, we need to be, we need to be sharing some of the stuff that we're figuring out there. So I'm just, I'm glad to hear you say, say some of that. Cause that's, that's kind of one of my big high horses. You said a very interesting thing. And, and this is the argument I make when I try to get other people I know, cause I got a couple of my friends to adjunct. 
you were getting on the, you were giving on the job training, whatever it is. I wish I could get somebody back then and teach them exactly how the way I want things done. Perfect. You have an entire class. Like I, t- I teach my, I, like my, my hacking class is two semesters long. So the first semester, they learn all the basic skills of running, like what a basic pen test is, all the individual stuff. The second half, the part they're going through now, the academic part, which is like awesome. It's like they're producing work product. What is everybody's interview these days for a pen testing job? Go on to the offensive security labs and go do this. Great. I'm producing that. I'm teaching them the exact way I like to see it. Not everybody likes the way I like my data and my projects. Plus, you're getting to audition everybody for a job. And on top of that, the students are getting a portfolio. They're getting a skill buildup. And the way I tell it to them is, like, your first interview is probably going to be produce a report, hack the box, whatever that may be out there. You can say, not only have I done it all, here's my work product. Here's what I wrote. Here's my absolute corpus of work. And if you look at it that way, from both sides of that, we're doing a great job. The skills gap, education gap, or I wish I could find somebody who did it the way I liked it gap gets fixed. Everybody has that good hope. It's hard to find. Well, you've got a raw talent pool. And then the students, more importantly than anything, are getting a really good education for people in the field who have practical experience, can do all of this stuff. Again, we complain like as engineers in the field or whatever, it's like, I wish they would have thought about this when they designed it or whatever else. And then you have people who design it come out and go, well, you're not really using it the right way. And that speaks to that part of the problem as well. Uh, and again, that's always, that's always our core problem. Like it really is communication more than almost any other factor in our field. Oh, Everybody yes. wants to be famous. Nobody wants to talk about it or give away their secret sauce. <laughs> right. So, okay. So final question. We're just about out of time here. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we just haven't talked about? Is there something that just, you know, just you just like to talk about with security that we just haven't talked about yet? This book, <laughs> I thought you brought a visual. This book, Out of the Inner Circle, is like the secret sauce of all hacking. I will tell you, if you want to get into the field, or if you want to learn something, you think you've known everything about security. Bill Landreth wrote that when he was like 18 or 19 years old. I read it when I was way too young to read that book. It really got me into security. And it's one of those things where it teaches you something new every single day. And it's one of those things where I think Landreth, uh, you know, I think he's, I think he fell on some hard times, but I think this guy should be on the Mount Rash- Rushmore of it, of, of hacking and security. And if you ever read anything I ever tell you to, I give this as a gift to people, like I, an inside gift I give to good friends or whatever. It's the best book you'll ever read. Nothing we're talking about now is new. And from a challenging you thing, think about this. All did it blind, never did this in the enterprise level at all. Did this when he was like 18 years old. And look how far 40 years ahead of the curve it was. And it goes back to that. Everybody's got something different to bring to the table. If an engineer in the 80s, a security engineer in the 80s wrote that book, whatever, that was a kid who was on dial-ups and BBSs. And again, you'd be amazed the insight you get from the oddest places. It, if you can get over the fact that he's talking about mainframes and whatever else, because the technology is old and dated, absolute genius stuff. And Read okay, say the name of the book again. Say the out name again. Of the, out of the Inner Circle. Out of the Inner Circle. Landers. Yes, it's his, like, basically his diary slash security book from the 80s. And like I said, best book you will ever read on security. I'm going to have to check that book out. Yes, I'm going to have to check that one out. Thank you. 
All right. Well, thank you, Ken Pyle. I appreciate you coming on here and just talking a little bit about your experience. You've got some great experience, both in academia, you know, working as, as an employer and hiring, hiring people out of college programs. Um, thank you everybody for those of you listening and the podcast. It's been great. This is my first episode that I have, that I've co-hosted for, um, for OPSEC. And I am excited to continue doing this a little bit more and I'll see you guys soon. Bye.